Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses had been recounting to the nation of Israel all the wonderful and amazing things God had done for them, despite their unfaithfulness and sin. Moses called the people to love God supremely. After revisiting the nation's history and travels, the Israelites were completely sure of God's future faithfulness in keeping His promise. We saw last time that all people should have a reverential fear of God, not to be afraid of Him, but to honor Him and His word. Now God will call the people to love Him with all their heart, soul, and strength, and to devote themselves to knowing and remembering God's word. We join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Remember the book of Deuteronomy was written to teach Israel how to love God supremely. As we'll get to the key verse of the book of Deuteronomy tonight, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and with all our might, our strength. Moses does that by breaking the book into kind of two sections. You got the start of the book of Deuteronomy, which went all the way through chapter four, which dealt with him rehearsing all the things that God had done for Israel. And Moses has rehearsed all those things that God did to prove to Israel that he loved them, that they were his people, that he loved them immensely. And so now Moses is explaining to Israel what the proper response to God's love should be, to love him back by being obedient to his law. But as we'll see here in this chapter, God was after more than just ritual or even outward piety. God's desire was that they would fear him. That's what we see here in verse 29 in chapter 5 where he said, Oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it would be well with them and with their children forever. And to fear God, we defined last week, was to love what God loves and to hate what he hates. That stems from an affection for him. When we have an affection for God, when we love him with all that's in us, we love what he loves and we hate what he hates. And so as Moses is about to remind them of God's laws, to go over God's laws with them again, He takes time in this chapter to teach them how to love God. And that's something that's very important for us because it's something God wants us to learn today too. So chapter six, and we'll begin in verse one. Moses is being a little redundant here, but he's reminding them again that they need to obey God's law. He says, now these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it. Verse two, that you might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your son's son all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you in the land that flows with milk and honey. He's reminding them to obey God's law. It's important to obey God's law. Why is it important to obey God's law? Because number one, it teaches us important things. He says, now these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments. These three words, sometimes commandments will be replaced with a different word. I think he used testimonies in a previous chapter. It's the same thing. We talked about how the law of God reveals God's will, God's standard, and God's heart. That's what those three words refer to here. The commandments reveal his will, the 
statutes reveal his standards, his judgments reveal his heart. And so as we're looking throughout all this, we're going to learn those things. God's law laid out the terms for his covenant with Israel, but it's much more than that. They reveal his will, his standard, and his heart. And that means if we're going to learn to love God supremely, we need to understand, we need to learn his will, his standard, and his heart, just like Israel was taught it by Moses. Not only is it because it teaches us those important things, but we need to remember to obey God's law because all of it's important. And it's not just some of it that's important. He says, verse 2, that you might fear the Lord your God to keep how many of his statutes and his commandments? All of them, right? That you might keep all of them which I command you, you, your son, your son's son, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. God, again, through Moses, reminds of, Moses reminds the people, he says, God's not just after your outward observance. He's after our loving obedience. And when my motivation is to, to do what God says, is because I love him with all that's in me, well, then I won't pick and choose which parts of the Bible I want to follow. I won't read one part and go, oh, that looks great. That looks like a great solution for my marriage or my work problem or this problem I'm having with this sin. But then you come to something else, you go, I don't know about that. When you love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your might, you know, when we love him supremely, then all of God's word is important to us. Even when it hurts, even when I don't think it will work, or even when it seems like everyone I know is going the opposite direction. God's reason, it says here, for teaching them his will, his standard, and his heart was because he wanted every person of every generation to experience his blessings. That you, your son, your son's son, that your days may be prolonged. God wanted to bless them. And that's always been God's desire. It's the first thing he did after creating mankind. When you read Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it says, and he, he created the male and female. He, male and female created he them. He created them in his own image. And then right after he creates them, it says, and God blessed them. That's the first words. After God created man, the very first words that are after that is, and God bless them. That's his chief aim, his desire is to bless us. He loves us. And so he's telling them here, he's like, do it all because I just want to bless you. And not only something that God wants for us, but it's, it's what a good leader wants for his people too. After he tells him that, Moses in verse 3 says, Hear therefore, in light of the fact that God wants to bless you, that all of his word's important, it teaches us important things, all of it's important, no exceptions, and God wants to bless you, then please listen is what Moses says. Please hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it. Again, we've tackled this word so many times already in Deuteronomy. Observe, it means to exercise great care, to tackle something in your life with diligence and detail. Moses could not go into the promised land with them, but he wanted to give them every possible tool to succeed. And so he says, therefore, hear, which means listen up, <laughs> you know, listen up, Israel, and observe to do it. Pay attention to detail. Do it with diligence, that it may be well with you, and that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you in the land that flows with milk and honey. If they didn't make use of the tools that Moses gave them, it wouldn't matter. So Moses pleads with them. He says, please take it to heart. Make it important in your life. And I, I plead with you tonight. You know, we're taking a journey through Deuteronomy, but we're really about to enter into the Holy of Holies of the Old Testament here in Deuteronomy 6. One of the most famous verses, the verse that Jesus said is the greatest commandment in all of Scripture. I plead with you. God loves you and he wants to bless you. So take the truths we're going to learn in Deuteronomy to heart. In verse four here, it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So when we start off here, how do we make sure we can obey God's law? How do we love God? Well, first off, he says, we need to love him supremely. 
He needs to be the chief love in our lives. He starts off by explaining who our God is. He says, hear therefore. Again, it's imperative. It's a command. It means listen up, implying that they must make a decision to do so. He says, hear, which means, are you going to do it? They, They could choose not to listen up. I hope you'll choose to listen. Now, why must we listen up? Because this first point is so important. Hear, O Israel. And what is it? The Lord our God is one Lord. That part of this verse constitutes what is known as the Shema. It's called that because the the Hebrew word for hear is Shema. So that's why they call it the Shema. This verse is a centerpiece of morning and evening prayers in Judaism. It's considered by many to be the most important prayer in all of Judaism. By praying this prayer, a Jew is saying, I am listening. Lord, you've told me to listen. I am listening, Lord, and this is my declaration of faith. The Lord our God is one Lord. Now, today when a Jew prays that, they're declaring two things. First off, they're declaring God's kingship, where they say here, the Lord our God, the Lord our God. They're declaring his kinship. The second thing they're declaring is that he is one Lord, that God is a singularity. Now, the first part we agree with. The second part we do not, and I'll explain that later. So what does it mean that the Lord is our God. When a Jew prays this, they are declaring that he is the only God and therefore the sovereign Lord over everything. That's a powerful truth, isn't it? That he is the only God and he's the sovereign Lord over everything. But it's more than that. It was to be a declaration, not only is he the only God and Lord of everything, but he is their God. He is our God. The Lord, our God. He is sovereign in my life. He is our God, our King. He is sovereign in my life. And I ask you tonight, is that your daily declaration? That he is your King, that he's your God, that he's the only God. It should be. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, after telling us of all the great salvation that God provided for us, he says, therefore, brethren, I beseech you, by the mercies of God, Present your body a living sacrifice to him, which is your reasonable act of worship. I mean, it's the logical thing to do. It's the right thing to do is to say, Lord, you're so good. You're so awesome. You are the only God. I give you my life. I give you my love. I give you my heart. That is the right response. Now, that first part, we're all in on. The second part, where they say the Lord is one Lord. Jehovah is one Lord. When a Jew prays this today, they're declaring that God is not triune, but he is a singularity. And there are problems, we disagree with that, and there are reasons why. Because there are problems with interpreting that verse this way. There are multiple words for the word one in Hebrew. There's a word called yachid, and that speaks of a solitary oneness. It is often translated only one in Hebrew. You will know it is never used of God in Scripture. Never. Yahid is never used of God in Scripture. Never. The word here is a different word for one. It is the word echad. It speaks of numerical oneness or a compound unity. For example, if I told you that I had one bowl of apples, I have one bowl of apples, right? But is it a singularity? It is not. There's lots of apples in the bowl. I haven't told you how many there are, but it's one bowl of apples. Now, we have numerous examples of this in Scripture. Back in Genesis chapter 2, I believe it's verse 24, where the Lord says that Adam and Eve exchanged their vows, and then what does it say? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and the what? Two shall be one. Echad. Now, I don't know about you. I'm a married man. I did not become Willerly. She did not become Bevelium, you know? 
We did not all of a sudden become this alien life form that's amalgamated into one person. We do not have one mind. Although we are always on the same page, right, babe? (laughs) We are two unique individuals still, but we are one flesh. That's what the Bible declares. Echad. We are echad. That's the same word used here. It's a compound unity. It can be used for singularity, but it is often used as a compound unity. So you can't say it's a singularity. Another example would be in Exodus chapter 26, verse 6. I won't have you read it, but it talks about how Moses told the people to make 50 clasps of gold. And they were to take those clasps and put all these different curtains together to make ekad, one curtain. When you put it on top of the tabernacle, it looked like one piece, but it was bunches of pieces connected together with these 50 clasps. There's a compound unity of 50 clasps and a bunch of other pieces, but it's ekad, one curtain. The idea here is that while this verse doesn't necessarily come out and say, I'm a triune God, there's other verses in the Bible that say that, it does teach that the nature of God is not a singularity. So we do disagree with them on that. God is a compound unity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. And that makes sense with what the rest of Scripture teaches us about the Godhead. We see in the baptism of Jesus that God the Father speaking from heaven, God the Son is there getting baptized, and God the Holy Spirit descends from heaven and comes upon God the Son. Not complicated. Now, try to wrap your brain around how that works. I get that's difficult. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to believe it. There are many things that I don't understand. There are many things that that I have to take by faith. But God has not failed me yet. I just had a conversation, not even a month ago, with somebody who made the comment. He said, well, the Bible, it's got contradictions in it. I said, okay. I said, I've heard that before. I said, could you please share one with me? Well, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I said, now give me just a moment. Your statement was, the Bible is full of contradictions. That's your statement, right? Oh, yeah but you can't name one. What's wrong here? There's a problem with that. I've never found one. I found things that may have looked like it, but the problem doesn't lie with God's word. It lies with my understanding. And the digger I deep, digger I deep, the deep I dig. <laughs> now I'm a digger in deep. I got to find the answer, you know? Three persons, but still one God. One Lord, therefore to us, does not speak of singularity, but it means there are no other gods out there. It also means that there isn't a different Jehovah for the hills and the valleys or for Jerusalem or Hebron or Shechem. That's what the Canaanites believe with their Baal. The Baal is the Canaanite word for Lord. And, and, they would, and a lot of times Israel would follow the Baals, but they would call him Jehovah. But they would have all these idols for these different Jehovahs, Jehovah of Shechem and Jehovah of this place and Jehovah of that place. No, 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 no. There is one Lord. One God, he's the God of the valleys, the God of the mountains. He's the God of Jerusalem, Shechem, and everywhere else. Because there's only one Lord, one God. And I'm to give my love to him only, which is what comes next in verse 5. We love God supremely by understanding who our God is, and this is how we're to love him. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. That word love, it means to have an affection based on a close relationship. It means to have a desire for something with preference to it over other things. I love ice cream. I don't love it more than my wife and my kids. So obviously we have a little bit of a messed up concept with that word in our language. But in this language, it was not a a word used loosely. When you would say that word, it meant you were saying, I prefer you above everything else. I prefer this above everything else. I love this. 
We use it casually, but it's not used that way in, in Hebrew. It's used with great affection and great commitment. It's the basis for the word friend in Hebrew. It implies closeness. So this negates a cold, fearful acknowledgement of verse 4, the Lord our God is one Lord, without pursuing a close relationship with God. So while God is sovereign and I bend the knee to him alone, God does want an intimate relationship with me. What does that look like? Well, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, all your might. The word all there means with a degree of totality, completely. Jesus called this the greatest commandment. We read about it in our scripture reading in Matthew 22, verse 37. He said, Master, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, what does Jesus add? He says, strengthen with all your mind. Jesus adds mind there. I'll explain that momentarily. And then he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Why does Jesus add mind? Well, in Hebrew culture, these three words together denoted one's entire being. If you were going to do something with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, it was with everything in you. They said, it's just, that was, it's not, we don't need to get into the words, what does it mean to love God with all your heart? And how is that different from loving him with your soul, you know? That's not the point. The point is, it's a Hebrew expression for everything within your being. Everything you've got, you love God. Because the Greeks counted the mind as part of one's being, and much of Israel was Hellenistic at this point in time, they would use four things to describe total commitment. They would take everything the Hebrews used, but they would add mind as well. And so I think what Jesus is saying is, as he's speaking to a Hellenized culture, he's trying to speak in a language they understand. He's saying, just love God with everything that's in you. Everything that's in you. That's the point. God wants us to love him genuinely to express it with everything in us and in everything we do and in everything we think. Now, this is where many people have drifted from the Lord in history, where they've gotten religious, but they've lost relationship. Look at Matthew 15 with me, because Jesus points this out to the religious leaders of his day. These guys had religion. They had the law. They knew the law up and down, backwards and forwards. But Jesus is going to say some things to them here that gives us an understanding of why just knowing what it says, that's not what God's after. God wants us to love him. He wants us to do it because we love him and to do it with everything we've got in us. Matthew 15, verse 1, it says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat bread. doesn't mean these guys were pigs. It means they weren't doing the ceremonial washings, which were quite elaborate. Um, You had to wash your hands, arms three different ways, and the water would have to fall off in three different ways so that you would be ceremonially pure when you ate. So Jesus, he'd had about enough of all their little nitpicking on stuff that really wasn't in the scripture. That ceremonial washing was not in the scripture. But he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Whoa, whoa, what are you saying? We got the law. We, we, under, no, no, we know the law really well. What are you talking about? No, no, no. You think you know the law because you understand the letter of the law, but you don't even know what it means. And because you don't know what it means, you're actually breaking God's commands through your own traditions, the own system that you've set up. He gives them an example. Verse four, for God commanded saying, this is what God's scripture says, honor your father and your mother. And another part of scripture, he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. That's what God said. But you guys say, Whosoever shall say to his father or to his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever you might be profited of me, and then honor not his father or mother, he's okay, he shall be free. In other words, if you told mom and dad and you said, listen, I know that you told me to do this, but this is for your good. 
I'm not doing what you're doing. What do you want me to do? I'm going to do what I want to do because you don't have my best intent in mind. You could read him the riot act as long as you start off by saying, guys, this is for your good. It's a gift to you. And then you didn't have to honor your father and mother. I'm doing this because I'm thinking about you. And then when they get off scot-free, Jesus says, thus have you made the commandment of God of no effect. You have nullified. You've literally taken God's command and cut it out of the word. You who observe the law so faithfully by your tradition, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, this people draws near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their what is far from me? Their heart. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines, not my commandments, but the commandments of men. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to worship God in vain. I mean, that's what they were doing. I don't want to worship God in vain by trading intimacy with God for outward observance. I don't want to do that. If you've been going through the motions of being a Christian or Christianity because you want to keep up the image of godliness, but your heart's not in it, guys, it's time to repent. (laughs) You know, it's time to come home so the Lord can wrap you in his arms and heal your heart, and it can come from the right place. And if you're here right now and you don't repent and you just keep on with the outward part of it, realize that eventually that motivation of wanting others to think you're godly will fade. I've seen it over and over again. People keep up the look for a while, a while, a while, a while, a while, but they really their heart is not close to the Lord. They don't have that intimacy with them. So outwardly, they look like they're spiritual. Oh, I'm doing what God told me to do. But inwardly, they're not close to the Lord. What happens is eventually all those external pressures and motivations fade. And you come to a place where you go, I just don't care what anybody thinks anymore. And then you'll fall hard. And the danger is you might not even care anymore at that point to get back up. So we're to love him with everything in us so that it keeps us close, so that we can love him supremely. Now, the first way we love God is by loving him supremely. The second way is by thinking about God's word regularly. Secondly, and these words, verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're back there, and these words which I command you this day, I love this, they shall be in your heart, the deepest part of my inner being. So it's not just scripture memorization, it's integrating God's word into my life. Now I love the part here, if you have King James, it says, these words shall be in your heart, but the, the pronoun, the preposition there is not in, it's actually upon. These words shall be upon your heart. In other words, hiding God's word in my heart is not a storage principle. It's not like I open the closet and I go, all right, love your neighbor as yourself. Great, I'm going to put it in there and dress it all up and nice, shut the door and I'm good. It's not the storage principle. It's a closeness principle. It's to be upon my heart. It means it's to be as close to my heart as it can possibly be. How do I do that? How do I keep God's word close to my heart, upon my heart? Well, it's simple by thinking about God's word regularly, by asking God how you can apply it to everyday life. And then by committing to live out that application and asking for God's help in doing so. Now, of course, to do that, you need to know what the Bible says, right? (laughs) Now, that comes first from being taught by others. And then it comes secondly by reading the scriptures yourself. Now, you're all here tonight. So unlike everyone else who didn't come tonight, that's important to you. I'm kidding. Totally kidding. If you're not here tonight, God bless you and come next week so you won't be condemned by the pastor. 
No. My point is, you're here tonight, and those who are here this morning, and those who are here normally on Sunday night or other places when they hear the word, whenever you go to hear the word, you're showing that's important to you, to be taught. And that's awesome. That's good. But the second part, are you reading the Bible on your own with regularity? And when you read it, are you taking some time to think about how to apply both what you've learned here or in other Bible studies and what you're reading on your own time? Are we taking the time to think about it and apply it to our lives? That's so important. And I was sharing with somebody this morning about when I'm close to the Lord, it's because every day I'm opening up my heart and I'm saying, God, do some surgery, do some surgery. You know, whatever you got to do, that sharp sword that is your word, go in, get, get it through all my emotions because I'm an emotional guy and get right to the very spirit of things. Get right to my spirit and teach me, feed me and show me what you want to do. God loves us more than we can ever know. So much so he suffered and died so that we can draw near to him. In response to this love, we ought to love God back, to honor and respect him to trust and obey. We ought to love God with our whole being because everything we are and everything we have is from God. Everything else we can love and worship in life will enslave us. God only wishes to bless us, and that is by simply trusting and obeying His Word. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.